Heavenly Father, I ask that you would still our hearts and our minds today, that you would help us to be present where we are at. Lord, that you would keep us from from being in what happened this past week and being so focused there and and keep us from being so focused on what is coming in the future week that we neglect to be here to be with your people and to be with your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would soften us, that you would quicken our ears, and Lord, that you would guide Pastor Cameron as he seeks to deliver your message this morning. Might you give him uh, leading of your spirit and wisdom of words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, yeah, my name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we do welcome you. I want to echo some of the things that uh, Pastor Luke said as he was uh, getting ready or as, as we were praying. Um, because I, you know, like, what, what we have, well, the message for this morning is, is important, but um, also as we uh, as we grow in our in, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus and as we grow as a um, as a community of people as well it's also really important that we uh, we learn and we practice right um, we practice listening to the Lord and what the Lord is doing among us or what the Lord is what's happening among us you know and I know there um, you know without going into detail any any individual detail you know it's really clear it's it's clear to me that there are for lack of a better term there's a lot of hurting people in the room this morning a lot of people experiencing grief um, or going through grief a lot of people experiencing pain sometimes that pain is um, a consequence of decisions that you have made sometimes that pain is a consequence of decisions that others have made in your life that are that's causing pain in in you sometimes um, that the the pain or the grief that you're experiencing now is just the consequence of being people who live in a broken world holding on to the hope of Jesus ultimate redemption of creation right and um, and so where wherever it is that you find yourself in that wide spectrum of um, of grief, pain, sadness, you know, happiness, um, exuberant joy, wherever, wherever on that on that spectrum that we find ourselves, I I find I find encouragement um, in the truth that um, similar to the words of the song that we sung that um, that God's that God's goodness remains, and that uh, and, and and sometimes what what we experience is that when 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 life gets difficult, it um, it puts it puts a lot of pressure on on our on our ability to have faith in the goodness of God, right? Um, when when things are not ideal, when things are hurtful, when things are difficult, and we've been holding on to this the truth that that God is good to us and for us and in us and in general, that, that the negative things that we experience, they put pressure on that, on that belief. And first I want you to know that um, that's okay. 
it's okay. Um, it's okay to ask the Lord, Lord, where where are you here? Because um, having a real difficult time experiencing and seeing and hearing and feeling even and knowing that your that your goodness that you remain in this situation because I feel very separate and very distant from you and very very far away from you. Um, I believe that God shows up in in extraordinarily mighty and authentic and real ways when we express extraordinary authenticity and vulnerability and honesty. Right? It reminds me, and I think this is, a, this is a thing that I will be reminded of for, I don't know if I'll ever forget it, but uh, back a few weeks ago when our brother Brandon shared his, uh, part, of his, part of his testimony, right? and if you weren't here for that, there was this one, one point in his, in his life where he was, he was driving, right? he had lots of, you know, I'm paraphrasing his story here, and forgive me, brother, if I uh, want to do honor to your story here, but uh, driving on his way to go purchase drugs again to get high one more time, got pulled over um, in exasperation, right? Said to the Lord, right? Pray to prayer. <laughs> Lord, I just want to go get high one more time. Just, just wanted to go, right? And it was, it was that like the brutal honesty of like expressing and articulating the, um, the depth of pain in his heart, right? Um, that it was in that moment that God met him most significantly and began to, um, in a real in significant way, transform his life. Um, I think God wearies of our, um, not necessarily dishonesty with him, but I think God wearies of even our lack of vulnerability with him. I think God, I think God wearies of us, um, Speaking in like placating terms, um, thinking that if we just fake it until we make it in our relationship with Him, that that is what will please Him and activate His goodness in our life. But it's been it's been my experience, both personally, it's been my experience, and seeing it in the lives of people that I've pastored over the years, is that when. When we have courage enough and believe enough in the goodness of God to hold our brokenness, and we actually speak that brokenness in a vulnerable and an authentic way into relationship with Him, that our vulnerability in those moments is like, is like the, to, 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 to the Lord, it's almost like we're opening the door to let the work, to let the Holy Spirit come through and begin to transform that previously unsurrendered part of us. And so I think that vulnerability is an, is an incredibly, incredibly important uh, part of our relationship with God, our prayer life. Um, and and I, I want to, and I, I, we strive to um, ensure that we're 
we're exemplifying that and being um, and and being vulnerable here in this place as a as a community as a community of people, right? And so I, I want you to know that if I said all that to say I want you to know if you're if you're coming in with pain this morning and you're coming in with grief and you're coming in with situations and experiences where you're like, um, yeah, I'm here, but I'm I'm not really excited to be here, and I, I'm not really I don't really know even what I'm looking for. I don't even know like. I don't even know if I believe that God is for me or that God is good in my life or that God is good in general. Um, that, uh, that God welcomes those questions. That God welcomes, God welcomes the openness of that heart and, and he, will meet you in the, he will meet you in those questions and he will meet you in the place of your vulnerability and he will meet you in the place where you share your heart with him. Because our prayer life is not a place where we're like, it's not, a, it's not a test to be passed or failed. Like, did I say the right words in the right way to please, the, to please God in the right fashion, right? Um, our prayer life is, a, is an expression of faith that we have that a, a God that hears us. So um, as a measure of just like feeling and hearing, hearing the Lord on this this morning, I want to take just a, another minute uh, for us as a community of people, as one, as one body, as one community, as one family, um, to kind of to set, settle, settle once again into a spirit and practice of prayer for just a moment, okay? So if you would, if you would with me, you can keep your eyes open, you can close your eyes, you can bow your heads, you can get on your knees, right? Um, what, what I'd like to lead us in here in a moment, in these next few minutes, is just a posture of our heart and a posture of our spirit, okay? And maybe if you're even feeling like the tension and the chaos of your life in your body, like you're even t physically tense, you might start by just taking a deep breath, a few deep breaths actually. Heavenly Father, we know that you are faithful to hear us when we pray. Lord, especially when we come to you in, um, in the power and in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, we come... Uh, we come to you, Lord, not because we are righteous, not because we are faithful, not because um, we have done everything right or that life is going well, we, not because we have earned the right to talk to you or pray, for you this, uh, pray to you this morning. Lord, we, we come to you because Jesus has been faithful. We come to you because Jesus is righteous. We, co we come to you because Jesus has made a way for us to be in relationship with you um, despite our sin, despite our darkness, despite our unfaithfulness and unrighteous living. 
Lord, and so we come to You in the name of Jesus. As those who often, Lord, experience pain and grief and discouragement and sadness and brokenness. Lord, and and even if we are unable to articulate or know what what it is that we're experiencing or what it is that we're feeling, we just know that we're feeling it. Lord, I pray that uh, by the wisdom of Your Holy Spirit and maybe the closeness of of a godly friend in our life, Lord, that You would help us to begin to name some of the pain that we hold on to. That we would speak that out loud so that it no longer sits in the place of like in the dark of our lives, but Lord, that we would expose it to the light and in the exposure of that, Lord, that your, that your Holy Spirit, through the wisdom of your word and through the ministry of those that you have put in our lives, begins to bring healing uh, to us. Lord, for those of us who are experiencing grief this morning, I pray that you would give us peace. Lord, for those of us who are sitting under the weight of a lot of unanswered questions about life, I pray, Father, that You would give us the security of Your continued work. Lord, for those of us who feel like You are far off, like you are uninterested. Like you do not care. Father, I pray that you would draw so close to us. Even now in these moments, Lord, that you would draw close to uh, that you would draw close to us. Lord, that Your presence would be felt and known in significant ways. Lord, as we um, as we move in these next few in these next few minutes this morning to a place of um, you know proclaiming proclaiming the truth of Your Word, um, Father, that You. That it would all that this would all be for your glory, Lord. It would all be for your name. Lord, and that as one group and one body, we may be continually united by our faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So last week we talked, um, we, spent, we spent a little bit of time, um, we spent a little bit of time talking about what it means to be in community. And when, and when, we, when we talk about community here, what exactly, 
what exactly are we talking about, right? Because community, um, communi community generally indicates that there's kind of like this um, central thing or central factor that everyone gathers around and generally agrees upon. And then that's the reason we all come together, like, right? Like we use the analogy of everyone coming to grandma's house or whatever on Christmas. And the reason that they all come from their separate spots um, into one, one house at Christmas is because maybe they share the, last, the same last name or the same family or they're celebrating the same holiday. There's a, there's a uniting and centralizing thing that brings people together. And that the, that the beauty, right, the beauty but also the difficulty of, um, of the church, right, of, of gospel community is that, uh, is that we all are extraordinarily different from one another. We come from different, we come from different family backgrounds. We come from, we, we live in different states than each other, right? We grew up in different families. We have different jobs. We have different um, like life histories and stories of why we're here. Uh, we, have, uh, we have different beliefs, right? We have different, we have different things that are important to us, different hobbies, different interests, right? And, and the enemy, right? would love nothing else than to take all of those things that make us different from one another um, and to use them as, as maybe sometimes little tiny wedges, but sometimes big old fat wedges, right? To drive, to drive in between uh, the relationships that we have with one another to begin to, to begin to magnify our differences so that uh, the one thing that does bring us together, together um, is minimized, right? And, and that, that one thing, all the way through Scripture, um, uh, we looked at several instances where, where, Paul, like, where, where Paul was talking about like, the uniting and reconciling and, um, and binding reality and truth that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of well, one of the verses that we talked about last week, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, um, where, where in, the, in the midst of all that divided, Paul magnified the thing that brought people together. You are all children of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That, that Paul's, Paul's belief, our belief, um, is, that, is that, all of the things that all of the things that could possibly separate us, right? He used some categories, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, paled in comparison to the one thing that unites us, which is we express faith in Jesus Christ. We are all children of the same Father. And because of that, we, we come together in, in one accord to worship Him and to be in relationship with, with one another. But we often forget that a key component of our relationship with God is that it it binds us in community to those who have also expressed faith in, expressed faith in Jesus Christ. 
and we live this rather isolated form of um, Christian belief or Christian faith that, um, that we're really not designed to do. If you remember from last week, and I know I'm doing a lot of review, but I think it's so important. If you remember from last week, right, we even talked about even the way that our the general practice of our faith is set up, right? Like if you if you would consider like Sunday morning being coming to church on Sunday morning to be like the 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 a primary way in which we celebrate and practice our faith, then we would we have some we have some questions about even what it what that means, right? Because we all sit in kind of single file rows, right? And um, you may sit next to someone that you don't know their name, right? And because you don't know their name, there's a little bit of like, I'm a little uncomfortable right now, and like, don't make eye contact because then I'm going to be forced to admit that I don't know this person's name, right? And it's going to be a little uncomfortable. And uh, then I'm not going to kind of not know what to do myself, right? It's much easier to come in on a Sunday morning and take your seat and sit single file, and everyone look, everyone look forward and don't look around, right? Keep staring at the person who's talking on stage, and then when we get all the information, all of the knowledge that we came to receive, when we download that all into our brain, that obviously is the, um, the, the primary purpose that we get here, that we come here, is, right, is to get all the information. Right? And then we leave um, forgetting... Right, that the primary purpose or the primary thing that we're all come to celebrate demands that we be in relationship with one another. That we that we see each other not as just a person that sits in my same row, but that we see one another for who they are, people who are loved by God, brothers and sisters in brothers and sisters in faith, one one Father, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God over us all. I don't know about you, Pastor, but the people that I go to church with, they don't really like all of them. <laughs> um, this may not be the most popular thing that you've ever heard, or maybe it is popular to you, I don't know, but like, do you know that you're not required to like everyone? Right. You know, there's a there's a significant difference between between what it means to like someone, which generally means, right, that we get a, that we get along very well in relationship. We have common interests and hobbies, right? We we spend time together, maybe we consider each other friends, right? And 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 like that's generally, hey, yeah, I really like that person, right? Um and and we, we generally get the sense that, well, if I am not best friends with everyone that is around me, and there's something wrong with the quality of my relationship that I have with them, and that's really just like a, an ex, an ex, kind of an extremist type of view. Like, like no, we, we should be striving with one another to maintain and build into relationships with one another that are honoring to God, that are, that are loving, that are forgiving, that are full of mercy and, 
and gentleness that are patient and kind and not rude and not self-seeking and not keeping not keeping record of wrongs and not and not easily and not easily angered and and it is the basis of those it is the basis of of the like the intensity of those relationships that often make it difficult for us to come into a place like this and really want to do anything else other than just sit forward and hurry up and get out of here before we're forced to see the person next to us for all of the things that we don't like about them. But there's this common thread that runs through sometimes the way that we practice our faith and I don't know how long it's been happening in church world. I don't know. Like I'm only 40 years old, so I have limited perspective and experience, but I think there's this thread that runs that runs through it all. And we talked a little bit about it last week. In fact, what did we say um, specifically? I said this. That it is difficult. Um, it will be difficult when we approach our life in church community or in gospel community as merely a consumer here to receive a product. If we come wanting to receive something rather than to belong to a family and community, we will inevitably get disappointed when the product that we're not receiving isn't ideal. And it is the... it. It, that idea permeates its way through every every single right every single ministry every single program every single relationship right um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today as we talk about um, kind of what we what we consider to be the primary one of the primary tasks of the church um, Last week when we talk about community and we talk about our relationships with each other and our, uh, as based on our relationship with Jesus, what we did was we kind of described the, the context, right, of the context or the environment in which other things begin to happen, right? And we, we, use, this, we use this word in the church called discipleship. Everyone, anyone ever heard that word? Right? No one's heard that word. Okay. Come on. Show me that you're awake and that you're listening. Who's heard the word discipleship before? Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, glad I don't have to define it too much. Right? Um, we've, we've heard this word discipleship before, and you may have some questions about, you know, like, okay, what does that, what does that mean? And, and why does it matter? And why, why on earth should I, should I care? Right? Um, well, the root of the word discipleship, obviously, is the word disciple. Um, and most people, most people have some experience knowing that, well, Jesus had disciples, right? He had 12 primary disciples, and then he had a bunch of other disciples that we don't really know their names, but we know that there was, it was a large crowd of people, right? Um, and a disciple in general, even separate from the context of the Gospels and the Scripture, scripture is just someone, right? A disciple is someone who is following or learning from or modeling their life after someone else. 
So the disciples were, were following Jesus. They were learning from Jesus. They were beginning to model their life after his own life. And he, he encouraged that. Right? And, and what we believe here, and what we believe that the Scripture unilaterally communicates, is that Jesus' desire for his disciples, the twelve, right, was that when he left to go to he- back to heaven after his resurrection from the dead, that it was now their job to go out and make more disciples. But that they would not be making disciples of themselves. See, Jesus sat in this, Jesus sat in this very, um, in comparison to us, peculiar role where he made, he wanted to make disciples to himself, right? A group of people that would follow him, learn from him, model their life after him. But when he told his disciples, okay, now I want you to go out and make disciples, he didn't want them to go out and make disciples of themselves. He wanted them to go out and make disciples of him. Um, I've, I've shared this, this kind of like principle with you uh, many, many times before. Uh, I'll say it again because I think it's important is that I had the, I, I will say it's an honor because I believe it is an honor, had the honor to sit um, with many, many people um, throughout the course of the last you know, two decades or so who were, um, who were on their deathbed, essentially. And who are who are preparing to die, preparing to go into um, eternity, and it's always been interesting to me um, what they choose to say in those last few days, sometimes in those last few moments, right? Uh, because you get a sense that they understand that nothing in these moments is to be wasted. Nothing should be wasted. So they're not talking about their golf game, right? They're not talking about insignificant things. They're like, here's the last thing that I know that I want to say. And I don't, I don't think that it's much different than with Jesus. If he had one opportunity at the end of his physical presence with his disciples to get one message across and to say one thing, do this, make sure you concentrate on this, don't overlook this. What would be the thing that Jesus would say, this is the thing I want to say? Luckily for us, um, the gospel writers, those that were with Jesus, recorded that, right? What is the last thing that Jesus said? We don't have to guess. We don't have to guess as to what the most important thing that Jesus was going to say to his disciples at the end of his life was. Probably the most famous example is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, Right? If we look there, uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, we see exactly what was the most important thing that Jesus wanted to communicate to his disciples at the end of his presence with them. We don't say the end of his life because Jesus is still very much alive. Amen? This is not the end of Jesus' life, but it was the beginning of the disciples' task. Matthew 28, verse 16. When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, 
When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, before anything else, Jesus qualifies, he qualifies the reality that, hey, if you needed, if you needed me to qualify um, the validity of my ability to say the things that I'm about to say to you, um, let me just remind you that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Meaning like, he's got the goods to back up the things that he's proclaiming, right? If I, if I say to you something, hey look, go and do that. Go and do this thing, right? You may question a little bit whether or not I have the authority to tell you to do that. Whether I stand in the chain of command of your life and that's a thing that you're going to honor, right? Jesus erases all questions about that by saying there is, there is no authority anywhere in heaven on earth that does not sit within me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A few things that uh, we see most significantly here. One is the authority piece, right? Like that Jesus has the authority to send those who would consider um, themselves disciples of him. He has the authority to send them out with a mission. And he, he, um, he stands firm on that foundation. In light of the authority that he has, he sends his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, right? That there is, uh, that there is no people group, that there is no race, that there is no um, economic group, that there is no neighborhood, um, that there is no place, person, experience that is off limits to the commission of the disciples of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. There's a teaching and a learning component, right? Where our, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, where not only, is our, not only does the Holy Spirit of God move upon our heart to bring us to a conviction of our sin and a repentance of our sin and a turning towards Him, but there's a component where God actively works to the teaching of His Word to change our minds, right? So that we are transformed in our holistic selves rather than just a, well, I feel it, and so therefore I will go. Teaching them to obey. Who likes the word obey? Everyone loves it when it refers to us, right? When we're talking about obedience that comes back to us, um, very few of us, we're going to talk a little bit about this, very few of us, uh, very few of us, um, really enjoy the process of submitting our will to someone else. Um, and I love you. 
I love you, right? But that's a sin issue. An unwillingness to submit our will to someone else is an issue of hardness of heart. It is an issue of bitterness. It is an issue of self-rule and self-lordship and self-authority. Right? And um, it got some people... It got some people in an awful lot of trouble back in the garden. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, This last verse is usually one that we uh, often don't comment on much. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because we... I think we believe a lot of times within the church, especially, that God or Jesus has given us this commission to go out and make disciples and then kind of like, all right, just figure it out. Right? Now it's, I've, I've told you to go do it. Now you've got to figure out the right methods and you've got to figure out the right content and you've got to figure it out and you've got to figure it out and you've got to figure it out and it's all up to you. And uh, I think that what Jesus says here is something that would be important for us to be reminded of that the that the that the primary um uh the the primary person involved in making disciples of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ himself right that that Jesus himself through the ministry of the holy spirit is actively working and is in the process and is with us as we are being discipled to himself. And so if we look at a thing like Jesus' last words, right, and we take it seriously, then as a, listen, not just as your, your pastor telling you, right, but as us, as a as a community of faith who express faith in the God who has said it, can all or should all come to the, the, the same confession or same realization that the primary task of all of us, both individually and as we come together, is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is, the, that is our primary task. Our, our, our primary task is to be discipled to Jesus. And the process that we use to talk about that is called discipleship, right? You heard the word discipleship, right? We all, none of us raised our hands, and I made you raise your hand, right? Discipleship. Now listen. There are many ways to describe discipleship as a ministry within the context of a gospel community. For our purposes, we've tried to do our best to just like not put guardrails around it or not put boundaries. It's not boundaries at all, but it's just a, a way in which we like to think about it and it is kind of easy for us to use vocabulary to kind of define what is often you know, a nebulous type of term. And so when asked, look at, okay, what does discipleship at Conduit look like? What is the process of becoming more 
and more like Jesus or following Jesus, learning from Jesus, modeling our life after Jesus? What does that process look like, the discipleship process? And what we've said is that um, discipleship is the process of being transformed into someone who lives like Jesus, loves like Jesus, and serves like Jesus. That's what we believe discipleship or the pathway of becoming a disciple is. Is that that I'm a person that is being continually, over time, throughout the whole course of my life, being transformed into someone who lives more and more like Jesus, who loves more and more like Jesus, who serves more and more like Jesus. And that, and that, process, that process doesn't stop. That there, there, is, there is never a point in my spiritual journey until the moment that Jesus takes me home to himself, right? Or until Jesus returns, where the process of my discipleship ends. I am always being transformed. I am always learning more about what it likes to live in relationship with other people like Jesus lived in relationship with other people. I am always learning more and being transformed into someone who serves other people like Jesus served them. Apart from my determination on whether they deserve it or who this person is or if I should, right? God is transforming me into the person that serves like him that loves like Him, that lives like Him. And listen, this is our primary task. And not only is this our primary task like individually and here, but I want you to know that from like a community standpoint here, that we, that your leaders here, your pastors, right, We literally give our lives to ask and answer the question about how do we leverage every single thing that we have in order to help people's lives be transformed to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, serve like Jesus. I would say that we do extraordinary, extraordinarily little, right? To say, you know what? It would just be a lot of fun if we got a, 200 people in the same room on a Sunday morning and we just entertain them. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, get, let's grab a bunch of small group leaders and let's, um, let's pray for months about how we can organize them and let's, Let's bring them into the same room and try and, from a leadership perspective, get them all on the same page, moving in the same direction, moving with the same heart, having the same ideas, having the same understanding. Um, and then, and then just, then you can just run amok, do whatever they want, right? Pick their own primary. Like, I will tell you that our most sincere and earnest desire. Is that, is that we would be able as a community to offer opportunities that aid in your 
continued transformation into a person that lives like Jesus, loves like Jesus, and serves like Jesus. But we're not doing that as a business owner trying to offer you the most palatable or pretty or easy product that you could possibly get. And this is where the, the conversation of like consumerism and our Christian faith, like they, they butt heads again, right? Because um, we often have like our, our own sense of what we need in order to be transformed. We have our own sense of what, our, of what life requires in order, us, in order for us to move more into a person that lives like Jesus, loves like Jesus, serves like Jesus. I'm not saying we don't, right? But um, here's what I am saying, is that um, often, because the process of transformation, spiritual transformation, is so difficult in our lives, um, we often skip over the things that, are, that we actually need in order to get to the things that we would prefer that help soothe some non-transformed anxiety in our lives, but that don't actually move the needle to transformation at all. Right? You ever have that? Uh, some of you know, some of you may not, that you know, for the first, well, the last 18 years of my life or so, um, I've done uh, a martial art called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And like the last decade or so, I've, I've taught that, I've taught Jiu-Jitsu. And had the experience of like having literally hundreds and hundreds of students over that, over that time period. And, um, and as, a student, as a student begins to, as a student progresses, right, and they get a little bit, they get more into the art, and they get more into the art, and they get more into the art. Naturally, they gravitate towards the areas where they're experiencing success. Right? I'm like, oh, I'm really good in this particular position or with this particular technique, or I'm seeing, I'm seeing success in a tournament in this, in this place or in a competition in this place. And so they, they pour all of their energy into this. Meanwhile, over here, there's a whole bank of things that they're really bad at. Right? Really, really bad at. And as an, as an instructor, one of, one of my jobs, right, is to help, like, turn them towards the things that they're not great at, right? So that we, so that we begin to um, we begin to build up and strengthen and bolster the areas that they want to pretend don't exist as liabilities in their game because it's uncomfortable to be in a position in the training room where they're just getting like smashed because that's a weak part of their game. Right. And it's kind of a, it kind of becomes like this universal human principle that we often just gravitate towards the things that we think we need to gravitate to but that we have this whole untransformed part of our life that is, that is causing all kinds of pain and all kinds of brokenness for us. 
One of the things about being right in the midst of, commu- of a community of faith here is that we have people who are around us, right? And people who have been, people who have literally, they have been called to sit not in a place of hierarchical authority where they lord authority over you, right? And, and push and press down things on top of you so that you carry heavy burdens, but that, that but they've been called and put in a place so that they may see the hard lessons of the places where we're ignoring, right? And call us to look into the places where we need transformation and then do the hard work of transformation by, work, by walking in them. Like the writer of Hebrews uh, the, write, the writer of Hebrews says something like this. I think it's in uh, verse chapter 13, verse 17. It says, yes, obey, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. That's obey and submit, right? Two words that most of us don't usually like to hear or listen to, myself included, Okay. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as ones who must give account. That there are people in our lives who have been put in places um, where they watch over our life, our spiritual development, And that they, at some point in their lives, at some point in our ministries, must or will give an account. I, I struggle sometimes to know um, how, to, how to balance this like dynamic of... God's call on my life as your pastor to um, to lead you in and through the areas of life where maybe you need transformation but don't want to do the hard work of it. Um, and how my responsiveness in leadership in those situations is something that I will be held accountable for. That, that, that I, there, will be, there will be difficult questions from the Lord about that. And on the other hand of that coin, knowing that like this is a part of like the, the calling that I have received and the and the task that God has given to me. And then the other hand of the coin, can I be honest with you? Can I? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, just wanting you to like me. Yeah, just wanting you to like me. Wanting, wanting to be like, um, wanting to be someone that you enjoy being around. Um, but there you know, and every person, you know, goes through seasons, and I, I, I go through, I go through seasons as well, and I think that the, I think, you know, like, approaching two decades of ministry, um, I think I'm beginning, 
Uh, I think I'm beginning to experience a, uh, a season where um, I am no longer primarily concerned. I, I, I do not want to be primarily concerned with whether or not you like me. I want to be primarily concerned with whether or not I am leading in such a way as to provide opportunities for you to enter into a process of transformation that you can live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and serve like Jesus. And the, the, um, the consequence, right, of that is that sometimes difficult conversations need to be had. Um, sometimes we, I need to hear it, right? And I, and I do hear it. I hear it from those that I've submitted to their leadership over me. Um, uh, that, uh, you know what? No, you are, you're actually wrong here. And I, I, I worry for and I fear for um, the consequences in your life and in your spirit if you continue to make these decisions, if you continue to walk down that path, if you continue to live um, with a heart like that, I, I, I sincerely worry about what it will, the, the fruit that that will bear in you. Um, because I will tell you that transformation is not an easy, it's not an easy thing, right? Like, the, the, the world communicates that transformation, that changing something is as easy as reading like the, the 10 books on Oprah's book club list, right? Just read this book on habits. Duh. And then life will change. Right? Um, just change the way you think and then life will change. Just change. Just change. Just transform. Just do it. The process of transformation and becoming a person that lives like Jesus, loves like Jesus, and serves like Jesus is much more difficult than any of us could ever imagine. What does transformation require? Transformation requires that I confess my sin, that I repent of it, and that I surrender my life to Jesus. And this is not something that we, uh, it is something that we do once and it is something that we do every day, right? That we, 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 can, we confess the ways that we have grieved the heart of the God. We, can, we confess the ways in which we, have, um, in which we have broken his heart, that we have failed to love him, that we have failed to love others, that we have failed to be obedient to his word, that we have failed to hear, heed his voice, that we... We confess that, Lord, I, yes, I have broken your heart, Lord. I confess it was me. I have done it. It was no one else's fault. No one else has responsibility. I'm not going to blame it on anything else or on anyone else. It is me, Lord. I confess. And then once we confess, there comes this process of not just like a verbal confession, which is, Absolutely, appropriately true, right? Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that we are to confess with our mouths, right? 
That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you will be saved. Right? That there is a a process of verbal confession that that must occur, right? Because it is the process of taking responsibility. But then the process of repentance actually actually is meant to include a a demonstrable, physical, almost turning from the life in which we led and walking in a different direction. Repentance has a couple different meanings, right? But the general general idea here is a a changing of your mind that, that necessitates a change in direction. It is a directional word. To repent means to turn. And it means to walk in a different direction. It means to pursue a different path. And what often happens is this is, the, this is often the stage where, we get, where, where it becomes most tricky, right? Because we confess our sin and we understand the guilt that we sit underneath, right? But then we want to continue walking the same path that we have the entire time of our life that, is, that has brought us to this place. And we're, we're unwilling to change our relationships, right? We're unwilling to change the difficult things that, the, the, that, that would necessitate an actual change in direction or change of mind. Surrendering ourselves to God's will for our lives, for our process, for our relationships, for our words, for the way that we're going to interact with our own past. And instead choosing to hold on to it. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he says these words. He kind of begins to call out the Romans for their lack of, their, their initial confession, but kind of the lack of understanding about the dynamics of repentance where my life begins to change by the transforming of my, the circumstances around it. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We have died to our sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What Paul says here is that in the, in the, act, of, in the act of baptism, right, that we are, we are placed under the water. Just as, just as Christ was placed into the grave, right, the, not symbol, but the actual putting to death of our sin. And as we go into the water, we are, we are entering into the same death of Jesus Christ where our sin is being put to death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may come up out of the water in resurrection from our deadness to sin and move into living a new life. Paul then goes on to say, now, now if, we have, if we have been united with him like this in his death, 
then we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know our old self, crucified. Have you crucified your old self yet? Have you crucified it? Our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to it because anyone who has died has been freed from it. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. Verse 11, In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace." Transformation requires confession, repentance, and surrender. We must also understand that transformation is not that that transformation um, requires a holistic perspective and holistic view on our on on transformation. To say that, well, you know, I have changed. I have changed my heart. I have said the prayer. I have confessed the sin, um, and and like all of my spirituality and all of my relationship with Jesus is all wrapped up right here in my heart. Right, the ask Jesus into your heart prayer. I ask Jesus into my heart. Not really sure where that that means and where that comes from in Scripture, but. What Jesus wants is actually not just your heart, right? Jesus wants your whole thing, your whole being, right? Jesus wants your mind changed. Jesus wants your emotions redeemed and restored. Jesus wants your body to be a living sacrifice to him. Do not offer the parts of your body as slaves to wickedness, as instruments to wickedness any longer, that, that there is a God-honoring, God-glorifying um, ways in which even our physical being comes under the transformative process of confession, repentance, and surrender. That our bodies matter too. That our minds matter. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, um, he says this, um, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is a good example of how we want you to know that our goal here at Conduit is to leverage everything that we can for your transformation because we believe that the complete, the complete and holistic transformation of your life is, is the primary task of us as a community, right? Like, as a, for instance, we, we I, I told you last week, like, listen, we see, I see all of the gaps of the things that we aren't always measuring up to here at Conduit. I get it, right? Like, 
they're the things of, they're, it's the thing of my nightmares, okay? And everything that we do, like, we work super hard to, like, to, like, do better, make more opportunity, give more opportunity for transformation. And this is what, like, this reality is what, um, is where our conduit classes that are happening on Wednesday nights have come from. It's like, you know what we're not doing? Um, what, we're, what we're not doing is we're, we're, not, we're not offering an intentional environment where people at Conduit can come and they can maybe really wrestle with some of the deeper dynamics of faith and the scripture and theology so that we can feed their mind with the things of the word. And if there is if there is anything unpleasing to the Lord there, that God, through the power and understanding of His Word, may transform our minds, may renew our minds, so that we can live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and serve like Jesus more. And so, what are the things that we can really dig into from a scriptural perspective that we believe would offer the environment for transformation for people? And so that's why we started those classes. I'll tell you this, it's not because I was bored on a Wednesday night. It's not because it was even really easy. It's hard work. Like, I worked like hours and hours and hours and hours a week to put together those lessons and to make the handouts and to build the website with all the content and to, and to be away from my family and to like sacrifice my, my, my own... It's hard, it's, it's all because we believe in transformation. And we believe that these things matter. They're not just things to keep you busy. They're not just things to entertain you. They're not just things to, so that you, you think or feel that your pastors are so smart knowing all this information and giving it to you. I could care less about any degree, right? What I care about is, are we becoming people who are more like Jesus? Are we loving more like Jesus? Are we serving and living more like Jesus, that's what I care about. Period. And it's the same for small groups, right? Like, like, like we, we strive in prayer and we spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and we're like, okay, what, what is the content? What should, what should the content of this small group be? And who should the leader of this be? And what should the spirit and the purpose, distinct from other things that conduit of small groups be? How can we put this together and like praying over it? Lord, help us to do this. Lord, raise up leaders. Lord, lead them in the process of transformation, right? And, and listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you f- f- flat out. <laughs> Um, our small groups are a place not where we all um, go our own separate way to exercise our preferential theological acumens, right? But where we, as one community, gather around the idea that we're moving together in one direction and we will continue to move together in one direction. And it reminds me a lot of this idea of completely ignoring the areas where we need transformation in order to stay over here in the places that haven't worked for us for years, but we're just trying one more study on this. I just need one more study on forgiveness. I just need one more study on my finances. I need one more study on marriage. I need one, just one more study. It's going to work, right? 
It's going to work. Meanwhile, our hearts remain extraordinarily hard to the simple thing of confessing that I have been responsible for the own brokenness of my life. Lord, forgive me and help me march in a new direction. And I'm telling you right now, you don't need one more study on marriage. You don't. You need to get on your knees in front of your spouse and confess your sin and repent and ask for their forgiveness. That's too basic. That's too easy, though. No, it's simple. It's not easy. That's the hard thing, and that's why you haven't done it. And I'm telling you, as your pastor, that's the reason. The last point, what is necessary for transformation is this. Or what is like, how does transformation happen? We've been talking about this basically the whole morning. It's not magic. It's hard work. Well, shouldn't transformation just be like super easy when I like confess and repent and surrender and like and when I like take a holistic ver- like shouldn't it just happen all on its own? I'm going to say like yes and no, right? Yes, there is an extraordinary there is an extraordinary like powerful indwelling of the Holy Spirit that produces fruit of transformation? Yes. They were like, oh my gosh. In, in a previous life, I would have blown up at that person. Or uh, walking in a different way, I, com- I completely wouldn't have reacted in that way. But now that I've confessed and surrendered my life to Jesus, he's doing things in me. It's just coming up out of me. and I can't believe what's happening. Right? It's easy, but it's also really hard work. We must make every effort to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in us. And as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in us, fruit begins to appear that, we could, that could not appear all on its own. It's not magic. It's hard work. For this very reason, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. Right? Let us make every effort. Let us work really hard. Let us put in some effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and godliness kindness and to kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, they are nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that they have been cleansed from their past sins. That the work of transformation requires continual hard work in the midst of supernatural power 
from the Holy Spirit to transform the things in us that we never thought would be transformed on their own. I'm going to leave you with, can I have the band come back up? I'm sorry we're, we went a little bit late today. Um, not that it matters, but it does at the same time. Um, I, I just, I, there's one thing that I can leave you with like towards the end here. It's this. It's this reality. Like, I can't say it clearly enough. Our heart and our desire and everything that we hope to do here as a community and in this church is to, um, is to partner with the Holy Spirit, to part, partner with you, right? As we're all working together towards being transformed into people who love like Jesus, live like Jesus, and serve like Jesus. And... Um, and that's our primary task. Amen. That's our primary task. That's what I want for you. Yes, I want your marriage to be healthy. <laughs> yes, I want your finances to be healthy. Yes, I want your you you to. Yes, I want you to love coming to church here. Right? I don't want you to be like, oh, I'm gonna gotta go to church and get beat up by my pastor again. Right? Like, no, don't don't misunderstand me. Right? Like, see, I believe that God actually draws us into relationship with him through his goodness and his kindness, not through shame and guilt. And in fact, next week, um, next week, our, we're going to start our, a new series called uh, Naked and Unafraid. Anyone ever seen the show Naked and Afraid? Don't raise your hands. It's a show Christians shouldn't watch, right? <laughs> Joking, watch it if you want to, or don't. But the idea of what is that is that is that the that the the world, not the world, the enemy wants to use shame and guilt to drive a wedge in between you and the Lord. And what God wants to do is eliminate shame, right? Through the through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And draw you back into his goodness and his kindness. See, showing you that, that um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, right? But to save the world through him, right? Condemnation and shame is not of the Lord. And, and, and God's not standing up in heaven, pointing his finger down at you, saying, shame on you. He's actually standing up there and saying, shame off you, through Jesus. Shame off you. Come experience my goodness. Come experience my kindness. Come experience the gentleness of me calling you into holiness. So, excited about that series. A little self-conscious about the title, but we're going to run with it. Okay. There will be no pixelated, blurred out, naked people on the screen, I promise you. Okay, We're going to skip that part of the um, play on words. Okay. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives, Lord. We pray that above all else 
and in all else, Lord, you would do a work of transformation through the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. That we would become a community of people, dear Lord, who do not gather just so that our itching ears get what they want to hear, but who are moved by your word, that are moved by your Holy Spirit, and that are changed from the inside out so that we may go out and be people who live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and serve like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Christ Jesus. Amen.